I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Welcome back to the treehouse, Wayne. It's been a while. You guys have been recording on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, well, we've, you know, uh, we've had alternate alternative uh, facts going on these last couple weeks. Well, and and I, and I felt like we probably should have recorded on on Sunday this week as well, simply for the fact to give you guys the opportunity to see the big movie that came out this week, in preparation, you know, for our special podcast. You know, uh, Murder on the Orient Express came out, and, and this is our special all Agatha Christie with Aaron and Polly this week. Oh, um, and make sure you stay for the after credit scene. So <laughs> I, I feel bad, Aaron, because I misunderstood. <laughs> Uh-huh. And instead, I saw Daddy's Home too because I thought we were going to talk about that. Well, that's that's for our other special podcast, Daddy's Home too, with with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> it's Wahlburgers with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> I had a double wow. feature with a Bad Mom's Christmas. I figured I'd just watch two bad movies in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just just shout out uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Fantastic movie. Is it? I was going to ask if you because yesterday's when you saw it, right? It, yeah, it is gorgeous. Uh, it is beautiful on the screen. Well acted. I, I, Kenneth Branagh is brilliant as Hercule Poirot. His uh, Belgian accent didn't annoy me at all. Uh, I, 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 it was a fantastic movie. And they kind of tease at the end of it that maybe they'll do another one. Uh, and I hope that's true. I hope they I hope they make uh, Death on the Nile or one of the other uh, uh, Agatha Christie stories around Hercule Poirot. But uh, it was really good. It was really good. Thumbs up. I kind of want to see it. I mean, the previews looked interesting. Yeah, yeah good cast. Well, I, I, everybody's good in it too. I mean, everybody's good in it. Hey, so I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, Aaron, but I just want to clarify for our listeners: No, this is not going to be a full Agatha Christie episode. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron sidetracked us from everything. This is not on the outline. So keep listening. <laughs> you don't know. We probably have a huge Agatha Christie fan base. It's untapped, Paul. I mean, there's it's at untapped. least two of us on the podcast. Yeah, that's, true. that's true. And we won't be tapping it. <laughs> tapping. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, you know, before we transition away. Awfully good movie. I look forward to seeing it. I, I didn't get a chance yesterday, but I do plan on seeing it sometime this weekend. And I just, I have no interest in Daddy's Home too. <laughs> just, just to clarify for everyone who is still going to turn so, off the podcast because of that. So I should stop working on the artwork for Daddy's Home too. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that is money not well spent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You know, while we are recording this, it is about 9 a.m. my time, 8 a.m. your time, and it is about 6 a.m. in California. And there are runners out there doing um, the second race of the Avengers Half Marathon weekend. Uh, it is the Thor 10K this morning, taking advantage, obviously, of the timing of the race. There is a Thor Ragnarok themed 10K going on in Anaheim this morning. All right, is it killing you that you're not there? It is killing me. Especially, eating you alive Paul it really is because I, <laughs> I at the beginning of the year I had intended on I had thought about doing this and then I was like eh, you know I've got so much else going on um, you know maybe I won't I, I decided against it and then Disney recently announced that they are not doing any more races in California for the foreseeable future with all the construction of Star Wars land and new hotels and all sorts of stuff going on there um, you know that gets in the way of where you can do a race uh, so instead, um, you know, this is probably, this probably would have been my last opportunity for at least another year or two to do a race out there. And I do love running out there in California, um, and going to Disneyland. So yes, it is killing me, especially now that yesterday was the Spider-Man 5k and it had an awesome medal. So yeah. Oh, well, next time you, you runners and your medals. I know that's the only reason I do it. <laughs> like if, I, if, I, if, I, if there's a race that it doesn't have a medal i'm like yeah maybe not well you know you're, you're running for that special alien medal that uh that, that batman's looking for yes exactly that's what, running for that you know, nth medal yeah the, the nth medal yeah, <laughs> yeah. trying to put together your hawkman armor <laughs> no one likes hawkman 
Well, that's why he keeps dying. Well, <laughs> fair point. <laughs> but he can't stay dead. I, I kind of wish he would because I always hated Hawkman. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, uh, I guess he's one of those characters that writers like, but uh, no one else does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in other news, before we get into our DC Metal talk later on in the show, I wanted to talk about the big new Star Wars news that came out this week. Um, Bob Iger had, I believe, it was either an earnings call or something like that. It was some type of um, not necessarily a press event, but they announced a bunch of new stuff, uh, including the fact that Ryan Johnson, the writer-director involved in Star Wars The Last Jedi, will be launching a new trilogy of movies unrelated to the Skywalker saga sometime after episode nine releases. Um, he'll be writing and directing it with the, his writing partner who did uh, the last Jedi with him. I don't recall the gentleman's name, um, but yeah, there, there is not only a new trilogy coming uh, related to star Wars. There is also a new live action TV show coming to Disney's streaming service. Um, they announced there's a new live action TV show for star Wars, a new Marvel live-action TV show, um, a new show set in the Monsters Incorporated universe, but I'm assuming that's animated. And they announced that because the you know their library isn't necessarily as big as everything Netflix has, they are planning on pricing it, uh, quote, significantly lower than uh, the, uh, the Netflix price point for this Disney streaming service when it launches in 2019. You know, I hate there being another streaming service that... You know, just like all of these, there's CBS has one. The all the different anime places have them. You've got Amazon. You've got Netflix. You got and it's all getting spread out. But this is one I'll actually pick up because Disney's catalog is worth a streaming service. I agree. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm subscribing to this service. Well, and particularly with the news this week that uh, looks like Disney is going to buy off a big, huge chunk of uh, Fox, right? Yeah, you know, uh, I hear and that's pick up maybe all fallen through, but I, I know that I... was because of this streaming service that they're interested. Yeah. Well, I hope that's not true. I, I hope that that actually happens because I would love to see them uh, reacquire some of their rights. You know, it would, it would be really nice to see them pick up, uh, you know, the X-Men and Fantastic Four properties. Well, not only that, if, if they're buying it for the streaming service, that means they're probably getting some of the television shows, which could right. be inclusive of things like X-Files and The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, you know, which would definitely make that Netflix streaming service because Simpsons is not available anywhere streaming. Um, right. And I, I would love to have that. Yeah. So speaking of X-Men franchise, have you guys seen the trailer for New Mutants? I have. I saw a part of it. Yeah, it looks like they're making a straight up horror movie. It does. It, it it it. In fact, what I thought was amusing about it is I thought it was unrecognizable as the New Mutants. Yeah, it definitely was unrecognizable as it. It just was as a like, straight up horror movie. I was like, "Where's Cannonball?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't see Cannonball. I think Cannonball <laughs> is in it. I didn't see him. I, I didn't see him. Characters. Yeah. Yeah. I but like I said, unrecognizable. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think the film, uh, unrecognizable as New Mutants, but I think the film on its own merits looks very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I like this idea of trying different genres and just mixing the characters into the properties. I think that's basically what Marvel has done. If you look at some of the big Marvel movies, you know, Ant-Man was a heist movie. Uh, you had a space comedy in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's they've tried to do, you know, different types of genres i think that could work really well with x-men characters see i don't know that i have the same thoughts on you related to that wayne i feel like marvel movies and maybe maybe you have a point in that they are all different themes of movie uh but i feel they all have a same general feel right for you know for some people that's a detriment for me i think that's a benefit because it gives everything a consistent look and feel um so that they, you you understand that they are tied together there definitely is a similar feel to them but they are. They do make an effort, it seems, to do different genres with each one. Mm -hmm. Like I say, Ant Man is obviously a heist movie compared to, you know, the big action of an Avengers movie. Yeah, no, good point. So speaking of superhero movies, uh, Justice League, bunch of Justice League related movie news this week. Uh, so the press um, screening occurred last week. And the full review embargo won't be lifted until Tuesday. And I gotta tell you. I'm going to flash back here to when Suicide Squad came out, because <laughs> I talked about this on the show, which is when Suicide Squad came out, there was an 
a non-embargoed screening that I attended and did a review of for the website. And everyone gave us crap because we supposedly broke an embargo. And I'm like, no, no, no. I went to a public screening of it, non-embargoed. I'm not, you know, it wasn't press. I didn't sign any documentation that said I had to wait. They're having another screening of Justice League today. And even though oh, yeah. I'm not going to it, I could technically do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, because it is it is a non-embargoed screening uh, here at the local military base in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and so, but... I don't have anyone who can get me on base today, so I'm not going to do you it. You don't, you don't want to just shimmy that fence? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a smart idea. <laughs> um, but uh, that being said, the early reactions have been unembargoed, or the embargo has been lifted, I should say, on basically tweet-length uh, responses uh, to Justice League. And early reactions are very positive. Uh, fil- people are saying the film is full of fun and humor, and it's got that hopeful uh, optimism. They say it's very much in line with Wonder Woman. Um, you know, they, they say the story is a bit of a mixed bag. They say the, the villain is no worse than a Marvel movie villain. So that, you know, Marvel movie villains are historically uh, pretty lame. Uh, so right. they say the villain is much the same as a Marvel movie villain, but they say um, the strength is very much in the cast and the interactions and uh, the feel of the film. They say it's a lot of fun, and and that is uniform. Not a single interviewer and not a single reviewer has said, "Oh man, this film sucks." Everyone has said it's fun. There are flaws, but it's a lot of fun, and really enjoyed it. Looking forward to seeing it again. Um, so I, I have I'm 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 very optimistic about it. I'm still not sure if I'll bother seeing it in theaters. It just does not look good to me. Well, I am, I, you know me. I, I'm super looking forward to it. Uh, I, so this yesterday, we're recording this on Saturday. Uh, yesterday, Friday, uh, the soundtrack came out. And I don't know if any of you have had a chance to listen to any of it. I, I, I have not. I, I, I didn't realize it was out already. Who, who did the soundtrack, Paul? Well, Mr. Danny Elfman. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And How is it? Is it good? It is so good. Oh, good. <laughs> it is so good. And, um, for, I, you know, I'm going to give away spoilery bits. And you may, hey, here's the thing there's a, they, there is a song called The Final Battle that has references of other, well, I'm going to, I don't want to spoil things here. It has sound cues from other heroes. It has sound cues from other heroes so yeah. that you can see who's involved. And the sound cues are not necessarily their, um, their Hans Zimmer sound cues mm-hmm. they are previously right. elfman or other sound cues that you are familiar with right. um so you know without getting into too too spoiler material um i i i feel like the just listening to the music got me excited about some of the sound cues that are referenced in the soundtrack um right. very much homages to to past songs that that are iconic um and i you know i can say that the, the you know his his batman score his batman theme comes up frequently throughout it and i just love hearing that again um, that's great you know the wonder woman well, I w- theme comes I will up as pick well that up today i will pick that up today yes it is highly recommended um you know he, he did a he did a bang up job for someone who was a bit of a, a bit of a last minute replacement excellent well you know danny elfman i mean i i think that uh, a number of his soundtracks started sounding a lot alike mm-hmm. you know uh but i sure do enjoy his music yeah. oh just word of warning skip the first song <laughs> the but first song is good. the first song is clearly um like a pop singer song that they had done for the uh credits oh, and yeah. it is it is it is not good okay. <laughs> yeah just just, <laughs> just skip that one hey you you want to know I, I i know we're we're about to talk about uh plans to see it and whatnot but uh uh i saw the teen titans uh judas contract animated film oh, yesterday yeah. oh you saw it God, I hated it. <laughs> I, I, I have either of y'all seen it? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. Oh my God, I thought it was just—I thought it was a steaming mess. Um, and I, I think, I think, I think I have to stop buying these movies. I, I, I have been so unhappy with the non-Batman movies. Uh, I like, I, I really dislike, strongly dislike the previous uh, Teen Titans film as well. Uh, I just I, ooh, boy, oh, yeah, I, rough. I hated the last Teen Titans film. I've hated any of the Justice League ones. Basically, anything other than Batman, I've hated. But I actually I did enjoy Judas T- Contract. I the <laughs> I gotta tell you the thing that uh, I I feel like the story doesn't work without the original 
uh, Teen Titans feel, you know, and they had, you know, they've used some of the updated characters. Like there's the, the, uh, blue beetle, the current blue beetle from the new 52s in the, the, uh, the, the story and, and rather large in the story. Yeah. So so let me say about, let me say specifically about him. Mm -hmm. I am sick and tired of him in these movies Uh because the only purpose of that blue beetle in these DC movies is to betray everyone. Mm. That's that's his only purpose is for them to have to fight him because he can't control his suit. Um, you know, too much of the way they do these Titans films is, you know, sort of an extension of Teen Titans Go, uh, in a way. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is not Teen Titans Go by any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly pulls some of those strings from Teen Titans Go. But I think the Judas Contract story really only works if you've got this very deep relationship between Gar and Tara. And... That relationship is not deep at all. There's a relationship there. Don't get me wrong, but the the, the film is the, that relationship isn't deep at all. So it really doesn't give you the burn when Tara betrays the team and then redeems at the end of the story. Um, yeah, that was interesting. The I thought they did do a decent job of making that burn, but I will say Teen Titans did it better. Oh no, absolutely. Uh, you mean the, the comic uh, book, right? Uh, well, the comic book is, as well, of course, but no, I mean the actual Teen Titans cartoon before it became Teen Titans Go. Uh, they did the Terra storyline and they did a better job of Beast Boy and uh, Terra in it. One of the big questions I had is because, you know, in that original Marv Wolfman, George Perez storyline, uh, Terra is sleeping with Deathstroke the Terminator, you know, and, and yep. you know, just remember – Tara is a minor child. <laughs> uh, Terminator is, you know, an old man. So rather kind of that uh, Roy Moore thing that we're seeing in Alabama right now. Right. Uh, um, and I was wondering how they were going to do that in the, in this, in this show. And so, you know, we, we actually see post coital scenes in the original comic book. Um, yeah. Nothing graphic, but you understand what's just happened in the movie. She's hitting on him, but he's not biting. So yeah. not and nearly as creepy. Not yeah, nearly specifically because of her age, he's not right. into it. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the last thing that I'll say about this, you know, I, I, I truly hated this movie. And when they start referencing Kevin Smith in the movie, uh, I'm like, oh, God. And then they actually have him appear and he's voiced by Kevin Smith. I just wanted to throw my shoe through the television. Uh, I, it was it was it was a terrible, awful awful film so i i i i'm glad you enjoyed it wayne i just can't recommend it yeah but you also didn't like thor so you can be wrong (laughs) i'd like to point out that with the exception of uh you know not disliking the film paul agreed with everything i had to say about thor just saying (laughs) but i still liked it But, um, you know, one of the things about these DC animated properties is, uh, you know, th- this they're beholden to this New 52 universe that they established. But I will say they seem to be getting away from that for the next couple of films uh, because we have the uh, an adaptation of Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Can't then, wait. Can't wait. And then we have a Suicide Squad film. And uh, then we have a two part adaptation of the Death and Return of Superman. So uh, I need a red sun. I need a red sun in there. I feel like it's probably coming at some point. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we were talking, you know, you, you had mentioned the the plans to see justice league. Uh, When are you intending on seeing it? Aaron, I I, know Wayne is on the fence still. I will see it this coming week. It'll either be Friday or Saturday. Okay. I am going to Um, see it Thursday. I'll know more. Yeah. I'll know more as the week progresses, but uh, yeah, it'll either be Friday or Saturday of next week. Yeah, I'm going to go see it Thursday um, at um, a Regal in Regal 3D uh, because I want that uh, there's a free Funko Pop. <laughs> there's a free unmasked Flash Funko Pop if you see it in, in the Regal 3D. So that's that's what I, that's the showing I chose. Exciting. So I'm generally not a Funko Pop guy, but there is one I want. I found out there's a Darkwing Duck Funko Pop. Yes, yes, there is. I- and I, I need that. <laughs> I did recently buy Darkwing Duck on uh, DVD as well, and I've been rewatching it. Oh, Wayne. Such a good show. Oh, Wayne. I can't wait to get to my to, to a couple news items from now. <laughs> it's not Darkwing Duck related. Um, You're just ready to hurt him, aren't you? I am. I'm waiting. 
<clears throat> but uh, last couple of news items related to Justice League is that it was announced uh, over these last two days that Injustice 2, if you have purchased it, or if you've purchased the Ultimate Edition, um, otherwise you have to purchase it as downloadable content, uh, will feature um, not only the addition of costumes based on the Justice League movie costumes, but will also feature um, new characters as downloadable content, including Hellboy and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so you can live out that fantasy of having Batman fight Leonardo. Huh. I'm excited. Wow. Huh. So I, I was watching uh, some of uh, Injustice <clears throat> 2 last night on, uh, I don't remember what channel it is, but they've been doing video game like tournaments and competitions on tv which is typically really boring but they were in injustice 2 was one of them so i watched a little bit of it just to watch the the fighting and the game itself yeah that game's awesome it looks like it i just i don't have much time to play games right now so i haven't spent the money on it no i hear you trust me i've got games still in their shrink wrap but that one i made sure i made some time to play and final bit of dceu um, DC movie news is that the current word on the street is that Suicide Squad 2 is where we are first going to see The Rock as Black Adam um, and that the the um, concept of the or the, the storyline of Suicide Squad 2 involves them being sent to acquire a weapon of mass destruction uh, and they find out uh, perhaps too late that that weapon that they are being asked to acquire is one Black Adam. So I, I'm down for that. The sooner we get to see uh, The Rock as Black Adam, the better. Yeah, I if they actually have a story in the Suicide Squad movie, it could be good. Yeah, because I mean, that was my problem with the first one. It wasn't the actors, wasn't the characters. It was the story. Yeah, I, I, can you imagine The Rock and Will Smith on the screen together? I'm game. Sign me up. <laughs> they need to get Michael well, Bay to direct that bitch. Well, Paul, can we also sign you up for Brian Michael Bendis over at DC Comics? I have mixed feelings on that news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like too. Bendis is, is has been long past his prime. However, maybe it's because he's just hit, um, you know, maybe yeah, he's, he's just tar- lost the love for, for Well, Marvel he's tired Wars. of the content, right? Yeah. He needs something fresh. Uh, I, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, that could be cool. But on the other hand... I think you're Paul and I were chatting about this earlier this week. I think Paul's right. Paul said, and that's strange for me to say, um, <laughs> but I think that it does. I, I think that when you hire somebody at Bendis's level who has essentially been, you know, the creative leader over at Marvel for a good long while and to, to be able to take that rooster and put him over in another rooster's backyard, Jeff Johns seems a little odd to me. I think Paul's right. Jeff Johns is probably going to be stepping out of the DC Comics side of the business uh, and focusing on the other media uh, at the conclusion of Doomsday Clock. Um, and 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 that might mean that Brian Michael Bendis is you know taking over that role. The thing that concerns me about that, Paul beyond decompressed storytelling um, is Bendis doesn't have the long and enduring love and encyclopedic knowledge of DC comics that Jeff Johns has. Very true. Uh, And and, I mean, that's been one of the, one of the great things about Jeff Johns is that he is so at home telling a JSA story and he's so at home telling a Legion story. I mean, I, I, this week when I was traveling, I reread Legion of three worlds, which is, you know, one of two titles that came out of final crisis that was worth a damn. Um, I, I, I love that story, you know, and I re I reread all five issues and it's just fantastic. And the, 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 very few writers had that ability to take that gigantic cast of the Legion of Superheroes and turn it into something because he knows so much about each one of those characters. Yeah, I, I feel and, and here's my concern about Bendis. And and it's not so much a comparison to Jeff Johns because there, I feel like finding another Jeff Johns is going to be damn near impossible. Oh no, right? Um, you know, and, and I, I I'm concerned about DC giving the reins of the universe to Bendis first of all yep. because Bendis has been given the reign. You know, he's a big time writer. I'm sure he'll come in with ideas. Um, but the thing about Bendis is that Bendis likes to change just for change's sake. Right. right? I mean, you, I I think you can look forward to Justice League disassembled. 
Yeah. Bat, I mean, Batman yeah. disassembled, uh, Superman disassembled. You're going to see, I mean, my big fear, I, this is the first thing I said to Paul right out of the gate is he's going to come in and fuck up my Superman. Uh, oh, I, better not. I mean, yeah, I mean, how long, I mean, it's been the entire age of the new 52, five years that we had to wait to get a decent Superman story. Now that I'm happy with where Superman is, I've, I have this fear. We're not going to get much more time in, in in this space, you know, that 13, 18 months from now, uh, we're going to have a disassembled Superman where he's walked away from Lois. You know, terrible things have happened to John. You know, I, I, I it just really concerns me. So here's the thing about the announcement. I love the idea of seeing Bendis do a book or two over on the DC side as purely a creator. But I don't want him to be setting direction. I mean, that's a completely different thing. I'd like to see him do a character or two, but Jeff Johns has done such a wonderful job. I I really hope that's not the case of him stepping away. But I you're mean, right. You're, pe- you're taking already. two huge character, two huge personalities that I don't see both of them playing together. Well, and we say that, right? But supposedly, you know, insider news or insider word is that Bendis is a John's find. And, you know, if you've been reading the insider scoop on things, um, there's kind of this unspoken rivalry, or maybe it is spoken rivalry, between Jeff Johns and Dan DiDio. Um, You know, Dan DiDio is the one who who is kind of the, uh, he's the new 52 guy. He's the one who really is focused on the change and the business side. But Jeff Johns is the one who tries to, to keep the heart and the, the history of the DCU alive. And they have very conflicting ways of going about things. But supposedly Bendis is coming at the, um, supposedly Johns is the one who convinced Bendis to come. To well, DC. and I know that the two of those guys like each other. You know, I, I have heard Bendis talk about Jeff Johns in interviews, you know, uh, two, three, four years ago. Uh, and talking about, you know, they are the kind of guy who they are the guys whose careers have really paralleled one another, right? And so they're they're always talking, or at least were at that time. So I know they like each other. Yeah. The ability. The question is, is can they work together? Would they work together? Yeah. I, I would be very curious to see what Bendis is being brought on to do. Right. Um. That's that. That's you know a Gotham Central book. Yes. Perfect. You yeah. Know, Superman. And no, I don't yeah. see Bendis as the Superman guy. However. Supposedly, um, DC has also reached out to Mr. Jonathan Hickman, um, who, you know, he's been kind of off the beaten path for a while. Right. Uh, I, I would be okay with Hickman, you know, involved in Superman or um, New Gods, especially New Gods. He'd be great on New Gods. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, 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 it, obviously, the, the verdict remains to be seen because we don't know what book he's being brought on to do, but I, I do know that. Uh, Bendis is more of a, a detractor than an attractor for me on a book uh-huh. lately. And yeah, I, no, I, I, he, he, I have not enjoyed him on uh, a Marvel book in a very long while. I, you know, I loved him uh, uh, back when New Avengers first kicked off, and I, you know, I got to tell you, I think that the Marvel universe was in a really rough place prior to Disassembled. Yeah, and you know, I he he. He really brought me back into Marvel back when he kicked off those titles. But his, you know, the, the manner in which he tells stories and that decompressed storytelling and the way, I mean, you're like, God, move this damn thing on drives me nuts. Yeah. I mean, some of the best examples of what I love about Bendis and the, the best examples of what I hate about Bendis are all found in the Ultimates, mm-hmm. like Ultimate Spider-Man in particular. It takes, I think it was six issues before he's ever in a costume. Right. Because it took forever to tell it. But the story is so good. Yeah. And the dialogue is so incredible. And he he does a very good job with dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, now that I think about it, has he ever done Fantastic Four? Uh, not to my knowledge. Not to I mean, my he's, knowledge. Done, he's done characters of the FF right. over in, uh, you know, the Avengers and whatnot. But, no, he, I don't think he's ever done a Fantastic Four book. I bet he could write a hell of a Fantastic Four that I would enjoy because of his character interactions and focus on uh, the characters and family versus the big story. You know, My thought is action. that he comes in and, and starts off with Justice League. That's I, I really feel like that's where he's going to land. Yeah. I, yeah. I and you know the first thing he'll do is 
destroy the team and build the team he wants for Justice League. Yeah, he, well, he'll he'll blow up the Hall of Justice, you know, but he's going to have them sitting around eating together a great deal. They'll yeah. probably, you know, start camping out of uh, Bruce Wayne's house. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> if he brings Olivier Copiel or Dave Marquez or um, any of his other artist collaborators with him, do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, am, the, I, I want those artists in DC's plate. I am very open to him going to Justice League because that means that I'd probably pick up a Justice League book again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I am not happy with uh, Brian Hitch writing on Justice League. And we've talked about that a number of times. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to be able to read the Justice League book again. I just fear that he's going to pick up one of my dear and loved uh, Superman books that I am just so happy with. I don't want him coming in and screwing stuff up. Yeah, I would agree. Well, it's kind of Superman related, right? But do you guys remember Allison Mack, who played Chloe Sullivan on Smallville? Uh, yes. Yeah. She was, how did you, how could you she forget? Was, she was quite yummy. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. well, perhaps you might want to become a member of self-help group NXIVM because I'm going to read you a couple of bullet points here. Allison Mack, 35, is reportedly second in command of a secret sex cult at the heart of self-help group NXIVM. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, This group, founded by Keith Renier, brands itself as a self-help group, but former members have said it's really a cult. Um... Uh, Frank Parlato, a former spokesman for the group, revealed on his blog that Mac has been running a secret sorority within the cult that brands women. The sorority has a master-slave hierarchy where Mac is only second to Ranier in terms of seniority, the blog states. She then presides over a small group of slaves who in turn must recruit their own set of slaves or else face corporeal punishment. On her personal website, Mac says Ranier has been her mentor for many years. So hey, uh, if you're if you're going to join a cult, Paul, by all means, join a sex cult. I don't really understand why you would join a cult otherwise, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So after hearing that story in like six months or so, maybe a year, can you guys do an intervention? Because I think I might be joining a cult. <laughs> if we see Wayne branded when we see him at ManCon, then we know he has joined NXIVM. <laughs> Supposedly, the brand is a combination of this Renier's initials and Allison Mack's initials. So you can you can have her brand you with her initials. I, oh I think it might be worth it. <laughs> wow! Yeah, hey, all those people who loved Chloe are are jump are are, are googling <laughs> NXIVM right now to find out how they can become a member. I I know I am. <laughs> God, that's funny. Now I understand why you were trying to break Wayne's heart. But it didn't work. He's all excited now. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe she's freaky. Good times. Wow, I see the brand, too, what it looks like. Because I really did just Google it. <laughs> That's Wayne. NX IVM for our listeners. <laughs> so, since we're talking about Superman, why don't we start off this week's books talking about Action Comics number 991, the conclusion of the Oz effect. It kind of felt like a very special episode of Action Comics. Right? <laughs> I did. mean, you know, you, you had you, you, you had this, uh, you know, this this rising action between uh, uh, Superman and the man claiming to be Jor-El, you know, that, you know, Lois is like, you know, Clark, you can't hit your father, you know, because he's, <laughs> he's about to deck the guy. And then Superman wallops him. And then, you know, we find out that, uh, you know, something was sort of mind controlling, twisting him and that this might actually be Jor-El. And uh, right as we come to that realization, he gets snatched out of time again. Yeah. So I read the entire story last night. Uh-huh. They, these had saved up. I had I was behind and hadn't read any of them. So I didn't just read the end last issue. I read the entire thing together. And this is one cohesive story that really works well. Like in the trade, it's going to read even better than individual issues, I think. Well, I absolutely dug the story. Uh, and it really does set up Superman as a major 
you know, piece of this doomsday clock story. And we knew that that was going to happen, but it really does set up why Superman's so invested in the doomsday clock story. Right. Yeah. Uh, I dug this story and I thought that the, that the end of the book, uh, there is this panel where Superman is, uh, listening to what's going on. And he's like, he, he says, people are losing hope. And I, I you can, you, the, the, the panel is drawn in such a way that you can really, you know, get the, the gravity of, of how that's impacting Superman. And but he's not beaten down by it. And on the previous page, there's a full page spread of him hearing all of these terrible things really snatched from today's headlines, political news, crime news, mass shootings, the whole bit. And, uh, you know, his response is, you know, I'm going out there. I'm going to go do what I do. I'm going to I'm going to go help. Yeah, that's what I loved about both yeah. this storyline and the Superman as he's being written now. Yeah, this is Superman to me. This is the he is going to be that beacon of hope. And the word hope was used so many times during yeah. the storyline. And that really gets to the heart of what the character should be for me is that symbol. Yeah. You know, other characters you can go dark with. Superman needs to be the one character that stands for hope. And this storyline really hit that. Even with all the horrible things he's seen, even knowing he can't save everyone, what does he do? He flies off because people need him. Yep. No, I thought, I thought this was a really good wrap-up to the story, I, I, and I enjoyed this arc. I, I, uh, I, I think they did a fantastic job here. But, Paul, you've been awfully quiet. <sighs> you know, I'm torn because this arc is very heartbreaking to me. Um, it's very heartbreaking to think that Jor-El has, has lived, you know, 30 odd years on Earth and, and had a miserable existence, right? Mm-hmm. After saving his son from Krypton, his seeing his wife die and having a krypton- a piece of kryptonite lodged into his eye, um, not only did he live a miserable life, he was, you know, he has become mind controlled by Dr. Manhattan. So that, that, that makes me sad, you know, from, from, from someone who's been reading comics for as long as I have, for a character that's been around for 75 years yeah 75 years 75 years um you know it, it makes me sad that that his character has that, that this turned in his character not from a bad way you know i mean it it is it is just it is heartbreaking um you know maybe that's the effect of it like i'm i'm genuinely sad that that jorel has has had this existence as a character you know it is a retcon but it's a retcon that puts the character in a place in an unhappy place and maybe you know that'll all be undone by the end of doomsday clock and and continuity will go back to how it was uh, because i don't know how you bring Jorel back into the dc universe like superman's dad is here now um, you know, how does, how does that work post doomsday clock or will he sacrifice himself yeah. to save someone type of thing? I say no way he survives the, the actual confrontations with Dr. Manhattan. No. And I, I think this is a, something we see a lot, right? When we know a, a big reality altering, um, uh, crossover is coming up, you see shit come out of the woodwork like this, like, well, Jor-El's alive again, uh, because you know that, that you know, b- post the end of this giant thing, um, a lot of that stuff is going to be retconned out. Um, this is this is a tragic one. And so that, that that's how it hit me. I, I do think for me, the ending was the most effective piece of the book. You know, that that thing that that sequence that you described where, you know, Superman sees or feels that the world is losing hope and he, he, he goes back to work despite it. Um, I, I thought that was a, that that was a a. a an iconic Superman moment. So I did enjoy that moment. The rest of the book was Paul, just sad for me. Paul, what it reminds me of was, cause I had kind of a similar reaction of, I hated seeing what Jarrell had been through uh, from a character standpoint that he's essentially was tortured into becoming a bad guy. It reminded me of what they did over in Spider-Man with uh, Ben Riley. Or Suicide Squad, or not Suicide Squad or Winter Soldier. Right. I mean, same, similar, similar instances. With Winter Soldier, so it's a, yeah, I I see that it's again I don't dislike the book. It just it reading it genuinely made me sad. <laughs> like, huh? Poor George. Or <laughs> well, I do. I I am very curious as to you know if this is Doctor Manhattan's doing, and that's what we're given to believe. I'm wondering what his motivation is. You know, I is too. it just get? Is it just kick over the anthill and see what happens? You know, what 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 is he? What is he interested in discovering? Yeah, so because I, he was not malicious, right? In in Watchmen, right. he was just right. im. He was just uh, unfeeling, right? 
So I, I, I'm, I'm curious as to if it is truly Dr. Manhattan, and I'm not sure that I believe that it is, um, you know, because they did do the, you know, the big Ozymandias, you know, switcheroo on us. Um, and I don't know that, did we ever find out why he was called Oz, why he chose that name? I don't believe we did. No, nothing yeah. in the storyline gives a why that was the name he chose. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think there's certainly more to find out here, and that's why there are 12 issues of Doomsday Clock. Yeah, perhaps it's not Dr. So. Manhattan that's manipulating him. Perhaps it's Ozzy Mandias. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. Yeah. Well, another Rebirth-related storyline ended this week in Detective Comics number 968, A Lonely Place of Living, The Conclusion. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I'm going to say similar feelings from me in that, like... Yeah. Okay, well, future Tim has had a pretty shit life. Like, things go to hell. <laughs> and he even says, things are going to go to hell really soon. You know, yeah. Damien, that thing he does to that Kemp boy, oof, that's some shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like, this is sad. <laughs> so, well, and I had some real issues with that line, though. Because the Tim we were seeing from the future seemed to be the the Tim that we had in the old Teen Titans stories when uh, when he glanced into the future. And he even mentioned Connor. So how would he have known of the Kent boy? Because he's from an alternate universe. He's not yeah. from the future. He's from an alternate universe. Yeah, and that's given, but it can't be the same one from before. It, had, it did have to right. be different for him to have even known about that. It's just that I... I now wonder about a world that has both Connor and uh, Jonathan. Right. Well, I feel like we're going to see that coming soon. You think? I hope you're right. Yeah, I, I don't hope think you're right. Connor is not a. They would not have. I got to tell you that the Connor Kent thing was a story point in this that they would have not brought up at all if they didn't have something to do. If they didn't have an intent, right? Like they they could have told this entire story without mentioning Connor Kent at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it would have been the exact same story. So the mention of Connor Kent kind of makes me feel like, okay, they're going to do something with that. I, th I feel like we're going to see Connor, maybe not as part of Doomsday Clock, but I feel we're going to see Connor pop up at some point in the near, in the, in the near future. Yeah, you're right. a couple of things I got out of this. like I didn't have that same interact, same feeling that you did, Paul, because we already had seen future Tim had a horrible life that led him to become this Batman. Yeah. In those Titan stories. So this wasn't anything. No, no. That wasn't new like the Jor-El thing was. But a couple things I got out of it is that uh, apparently all of the Brother Eye stuff and all of that never happened in the New 52 universe. Because nobody knew about Brother Eye until Tim turned it on. And I loved seeing Tim, future Tim Batman, beating all of them in combat. That that's something he's you know capable of with the the time and training, and he has just like Bruce, he knows exactly how to take each one of them out. I mean, this is this entire story is a love letter to the Tim Drake character, both the future version of what he's capable of, as well as the current version and everything that he's capable of. Yeah, I enjoyed the storyline very much uh, from an overall standpoint. Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the art on this book before, and this is a different artist than who did the Zaytana, um, Azrael storyline, but you know, the, the artists that they bring into this book and the two page spreads and, and the big sweeping action on a biweekly basis, yeah. I gotta say, this is probably one of my favorite books on the market right now. Um, it, it I, I find no other book that gets out this frequently has this level of quality on a consistent basis for me. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And yeah, I think we all have to ask ourselves, what the hell does Batwoman do that makes Tim Drake want to kill her? Well, Aaron, did you drop out of the Batwoman book? I, I, I have continued purchasing. I've just, I am so far behind. Yeah. I've not read after the first issue, but if you recall that had a bit of a <clears throat> flash forward at the end of the right. first issue where she seemed to, to be in charge of the general's forces or something like she went back. Right. So I, I feel right. like it's kind of tied into that. I just haven't been so, reading that book. So you think if I read the books that I actually have, I might find out the answers to my question. <laughs> I feel like so the right. answer. The answer is reading, Paul. Is that what you're telling me? I am telling that you can't that can't be the answer. That can't be the answer. Reading See, I was toward reading this story on whether does she do go bad and do something bad or is it incompetence? Because he talks about her as, 
you know, basically a I gather a fraud it's a bad or, decision. I yeah, it. and that that's what I think. It wasn't something intentionally that she does, but she's gonna make a bad call that they they're gonna pay for. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, I liked this book quite a bit, and uh, what I also liked was flipping to that last page and seeing. Can the Dark Knight and the heroes in a half shell stop Bane from conquering a new world? Batman, yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, James Tinian the fourth, Freddie Williams the second, December 2017. Yes, sign me up. All on board. The first one was very good. Yes, it was. <laughs> Aaron, you've been quiet. What are your thoughts? I'm just maintaining my own counsel there, guys. I'm going to let you guys have that. <laughs> well... You know, I earlier in the show, I mentioned that if Bendis comes to D.C., it would be great for him to bring artists like Olivier Copiel with him. But Olivier Copiel is already doing some work for D.C. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some interior work. But he did the, the gorgeous cover, um, very Mike Mignola-esque cover for Batman Lost, which is a Dark Knight's metal tie-in written by Scott Snyder, James Tinian IV, um, and uh, Joshua Williamson, featuring art by Doug Mankey, Yannick Paquette, and Jorge Jimenez. Uh, just a, an all-star creative team um, and just telling the story of what happened to Batman when he went into the Dark Multiverse leading up to that conclusion that we saw at the end of Dark Knight's Metal uh, number four, I believe, where Superman went in to save him. Maybe it was issue three. Aaron, what did you think of Batman Lost? There are things I really like about this book. Um, you know, the, the artwork is just stunning throughout. Yes. Um, and I particularly like the story in which... Uh, uh, the 78-year-old Bruce Wayne is reading Batman stories to his granddaughter. I, I really – I love the way those were drawn. I love the way those were told. I loved the turn that took. Um, there were parts of the book that just really didn't work for me. Uh, I mean I feel like someone is trying to force me to read those damn Grant Morrison, you know, Batman uh, – Bruce Wayne at the beginning of time books. Uh and I really don't want to read those, Paul. <laughs> I, know, I know that's where 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 Barbados comes from, but uh, I, I just man, I just really don't want to read those books. So I read those books. So yeah, I, I, I probably gleaned a, li a little more information from this book than you did. Uh, this is very closely tied into that um, the Return of Bruce Wayne storyline, that six issue storyline. Uh, maybe it was six issues. It cut it in seven. So if you've not read that storyline, I do recommend reading it. It will paint the picture a little bit better um, for you in this book. Uh, and these are this is this is Scott Snyder at his Grant Morrisoniest. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, th this book, uh, I, I am not a fan. I have never been a fan of paying two, three, four, five dollars for a book that ultimately is just a dream sequence. And that's exactly right. what this one is. Yes. Um, it is a well-told one, but it, it's still a dream sequence. It, for me, this is one of the, this is one of the Dark Knight's metal tie-ins that I feel doesn't add to the overall story. Agreed. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, despite the fact that the some of these pages are just gorgeous, it's a quality um, book. It's just yeah. not it's not mandatory reading like some of the other stuff uh, that I've been um, reading. It's never stated on the page, Paul, uh, but it sure did seem to me that the the scene where Bruce is reliving the you know early days sacrifice of the woman in Gotham city yes. uh, before the city is built. Right. So it's the, the site on which Gotham will be built. Yeah. Um, she sure does look a lot like Selena Kyle to me. She does. And I would have to reread the, 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 the you know, the return of Bruce Wayne. Um, not that I want to, to, to remember exactly <laughs> what happens in that sequence. Cause that is a sequence from that storyline. Right. It reveals kind of all the, uh, the Wayne's ties to the uh, Barbados mythology. Right. Um, but, but it, it seemed like that she was intentionally drawn to look like Selena. Um, yeah. But I mean, not stated anywhere. At no point does Bruce like Selena, you know, I mean, it, he, he never recognizes her as that. And there's no leaning into it. It's just there for the reader to, to kind of discover. But I mean, she is virtually indistinguishable from the Selena Kyle we see over in the current Batman book. Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, but I will say one thing. Yeah, but about yeah, I, I, I okay. go ahead. Sorry. 
I was just going to say that I, I think that this is the one metal tie-in book that you could have not picked up. Yeah, despite the fact that there is a very freaky, freaky sequence with uh, Wayne's uh, Bruce Wayne's granddaughter, you know, in this whole dream sequence. Oh, God. And I love that turn. And it reminded me of, you know, our favorite TV show, Paul the Exorcist. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, that one page was like, oh, wow. That, that yeah, actually I, freaked I, me I, out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, that turned creepy fast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, despite the fact that this is a quality book, it is, I, I am not, I am not denying that it is a quality book, well-written, well-drawn. I am also just saying it's not mandatory reading for Dark Knight's Metal. Um, you know, on the flip side, I picked up Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps this week, which is part three of Bats Out of Hell, which is the Justice League versus the Dark Knights, the, the evil Batman from the multiverse. And I am enjoying this storyline quite a bit. Uh, some great moments for Hal Jordan in this book. Uh, some great art by Ethan Van Skyver. Uh, looking forward. There, there's only one more issue in this tie-in, uh, but I, I have enjoyed this uh, this arc so far. So um, if you're looking for for some good stuff, definitely check that one out. Well, Paul, I, I think that's great and everything, but I am not at all interested in what you know. I'm interested in what you believe. True. True. True or false, Mister Miracle is one of the best books published by DC right now. True. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark Side is true or false? True. <laughs> this, uh, so in, in so in, in the I'm in the really piece, surprised to hear that because I thought after issue one you guys didn't like Mister Miracle. We oh were on the God, fence. So good, right? Uh, however, the story has has just gotten so much better. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm trying to avoid spoilery material, but basically, yeah. you know, in, in the first issue, and so I'll only, you know, reveal what has happened in the first issue, which is that High Father has been killed by Darkseid and Orion has taken over as the new High Father. And um, Orion has, or Mr. Miracle and Barda have been drafted into the war against Darkseid. Now, things have taken a turn, and now Mr. Miracle is on trial, um, and it is just, it is war and you know like ptsd and war it's um family drama it's it is just there's so much emotion in this book and and don't forget there's a veggie tray paul (laughs) the the veggie tray was (laughs) perhaps one of the best parts of the book yeah the veggie tray was awesome it was an epic veggie tray <laughs> it, wow. It, okay. It, it, yeah. the, the way this book ends is just it is it is so it, such an emotional book. Yeah. It you know there are things about the book that you there is you know it's written by Tom King right and yes. so there is this very wry sense of humor to it but also you know the 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 sense of humor is just covering up. It's just that that little Band-Aid across this horrible, deep, gashing wound, right? Well, I mean, it is it is so raw, this storytelling. And, I mean, you know, they're telling this, the story of, of the, you know, war between Genesis, New Genesis and Apocalypse. But they're really telling the story of, of you know, appropriate for Veterans Day, right, uh, the day we're recording this. It's really telling the, the story of Wounded Warriors, and how, as Paul said, you know, PTSD, PPSD, not PPSD. <laughs> I'm sorry, PTSD. I'm not meaning to make a joke out of that. PTSD. Uh, you know how you know the you know the the never ending cycle of war hurts the people who participate in it, and you know it, it hurts Barda. You know we see that in the pages of his books, but you know she handles it differently. Um, Scott, who's much more mortal than the rest of these new gods, uh, is not handling it well, and he he bears this awesome responsibility. He sees someone, someone you know, murdered in his living room, who's asking for his help. Uh, I, I I just I think this book is so well done, and, it, and it's hitting me on on several different levels. So I remember from reading the first issue, we all had the thoughts of, is any of this real? Right. Because it started off with him yeah. trying to commit suicide. Yeah. And we all had the thoughts of, is this actually what's going on in his head in those moments? Do you guys still get that feel that some Absolutely. That none of this is real? Absolutely. See, I don't. I, I, and and well, I think that's interesting I, I, because I feel like I, I have no doubt that this is happening. Well, no, I, I, 
I think there are, there are a lot of questions still left open yes. about uh, about the reality of certain things because you know you do see those uh, blurring images of the uh, on the pan right you yeah. know where it looks like you know someone's trying to tune in the UHF station um, so I you know I think there there is a certain perspective on what's real or what what is the level of reality you know because you know you do have Dr Bedlam involved and you know he uh, we know that Scott took the paranoid pill so there is that question. And is he still in the trap? And I think he is. Yes. I think, he, you know, you know, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, is an escape artist. I think this entire story is a trap. And uh, uh, Orion kind of acknowledges that earlier on because he tells him that the trial is a trap. Yeah. So I, I think this story is magnificent. There, I love the way it's told visually. I love the way it's written. The characters are spot on. Uh, and epic veggie tray. Just saying. <laughs> it, it is fantastic. And it's going to read yeah. so well in trade. I, I feel like this is going to be, assuming they stick the landing, right? That's all that matters. Do you, if you stick the landing, this is going to be one to reread for years to come. Yeah. And I don't know how many issues are in this, Paul. Is it five, six, more? I believe it's 12. Is it 12? Wow. Yeah. I, or this was issue four. Four. So I believe we're only so, a third of the way in. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of story that we've covered in four issues. Yeah. Still more to yeah. go. Looking forward to yep. it. Yep, yep. Well, the final book we're going to talk about this week is from Boom Studios. And, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time when Boom Studios had the rights to both do King Kong books and Planet of the Apes books for us to get a crossover between the two Kong on the Planet of the Apes. Guys? It, it is a great big monkey book. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Hit it, Wayne. Okay, so first of all, this does something that I love when when they do the crossovers in some of these books is that you know right when it takes place. This is immediately after the original Planet of the Apes. You have uh, Zira and uh, Cornelius are still imprisoned, basically under house arrest. You have uh, apes are becoming human sympathizers, and the society is really shaken up. And then they find a giant corpse of an ape. I absolutely love the book. I loved where it, how it takes off right after the movie, how it's dealing with ape society. We don't actually see a living Kong in the book at all in this first issue. But no. what we do see is something we haven't really seen before, and that's other ape societies around the world. They take a boat to Africa and... There's a new ape society over there, very much like the ape society we've seen, but in Africa. Yeah, I, I think one of the the things to note is that you know they find the you know they're they're wandering around on the beach and they're passing the old smashed up Statue of Liberty, you know, and uh, uh, on the other side of that they find the the body of a giant Kong like ape, and but it's not Kong because this one's female. Um, and, you know, they're like, huh, well, they immediately discern that it could not possibly have come from their their continent or their section of the world because there's not enough uh, uh, flora to have supported. In fact, when they, when they did the autopsy of the giant, giant ape, they found that wherever uh, she came from was much more lush than where they live. And so they decided, well, it must have come from across the water you know, because she was on the beach. Maybe she washed up. And so they, uh, they they head out. They go to Africa. They they meet the the African uh, uh, ape society, and then they head on to Monster Island, where we do see them. Uh, not uh, Skull Island, which we might also call Monster Island. Um, and we see uh, you know Kong, you know, beating his chest on the uh, on the shores of that uh, of that wonderful wonderful tropical island. Well, and continuing the theme of Doctor uh, Zayas. He has a newspaper of Kong in New York back before the uh, before the fall of man. Yeah, and, and while the the newspaper heading isn't explicit about that, doesn't give you a whole lot of information. It does appear like it's Kong after having fallen off of the uh, the uh, um, Empire State Building, right? So. I, I'm super interested in uh, in the book. I'm not sure 
what iteration of Kong we're going to see. Um, you know, are we, it, will the, will it not necessarily be Kong, but you know, some other ape, because you know, who's that, that fell in New York city. If, uh, if that's Kong on the island, if we're tying into the Kong movies, you know, we know that that Kong was at least alive in you know the 1960s cause it was during the Vietnam war. So a little interesting there, Paul, that you've been pretty quiet. God, I hated this book. <laughs> it's awfully talky. It's awfully talky, and I didn't like yeah. the art. I really didn't like this book, guys. You didn't I'm like sorry. the art. I, like I the didn't art like the art. I, uh, I will give Paul on the art. The apes do not, not all of them, but especially uh, Cornelius and Zira do not look like the characters from the movies. And I think that some of the other apes do look a lot more like the movies, but those two... I wouldn't have recognized on page if they, in fact, I didn't recognize until they said their names. Yeah. Well, and on top of it, one of the things that you liked, Wayne, is one of the things I didn't, which is you, you said you liked that they showed you where it fits in in the storyline. And here's the thing. Normally, I would like that. But at, but every time I read one of these Planet of the Apes crossovers, it takes place right after, right at the same point. I think I'm I think I'm a little tired of seeing the exact same start to all of these Planet of the Apes crossovers, whether it's the Tarzan one or yeah. it, um I, you know, I, I will say them. it's a it's a very crowded multiverse of apes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you're right, they always seem to pick up right at this point. Um and, and you know, so you've got lot you, there there must be at least fifty two universes of uh, of apes. All from that one point in history. In That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, so I, I did not care for this book. I will not be continuing with it. I just, you know, there wasn't enough there to draw me into it. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the idea more than I enjoyed the execution. I can see that. I can see that. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, I thought it, I thought it was a, a solid read. I enjoyed the art. I enjoyed the storytelling. I do think it was a little talky. And in fact, I was getting bored of all of the exposition between Zayas and the council and Zayas and the general. Um, because when it all comes down to it, really the general and Zayas are not my favorite characters. I really want to hear more from Cornelius and Zira. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I think it was a solid read. Uh, I'd pick up the second issue. Yep. Uh, I'm all on board for the series. Yeah. I can't wait for the next issue. So Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week we get a couple of Dark Knights metal tie-ins, uh, you know, d- while we wait for issue four to be released in early December. The Batman Who Laughs, which is the final tie-in featuring the Dark Knights, um, those evil Batman. Uh, this one by James Tynion IV, uh, with art by Riley Rosmo. We finally get the story of the Batman Who Laughs and his evil Robins. Um, we also get the conclusion of Bats Out of Hell. Uh, that four-part storyline that I was talking about concludes in Justice League number 33. We also get the conclu- uh, the uh, continuation of a couple of storylines, uh, <laughs> including uh, the rules of engagement in Batman number 35 and Imperious Lex in the pages of Superman number 35. Um, so, you know, lots of stuff from DC. We are only two weeks out from the start of Doomsday Clock, which uh, comes out November 22nd. There's only three more issues left in Invincible. Invincible number 142, the part 10 of the end of all things, um, is is due out this week. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing how that storyline ends and uh, not buying that book anymore. <laughs> uh, the Mighty Thor, uh, the, manga, the, 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 the story featuring the Mangog um, and the death of the Mighty Thor is the name of the storyline. Continues in the pages of Mighty Thor number seven zero one. All that, and I'm sure a ton more. And tune in later this week for another fresh and exciting episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Woo, woo. Actually, since we're talking about it, Star Trek Discovery number one comes out on November 29th. Uh, you know, to tie into that to that. Um, to that series. So that's something that we'll talk about on Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. That's true. All right, guys. Well, have a good week. Next time we talk, we, we will be Justice, Justice League. Yes. That's right. Well, except for the Star Trek thing. But next time, funny, <laughs> next, next, next episode of Funny Books um, will, will be our Justice League episode. So tune in next week for that one. 
And be sure and give us a call and let us know what you thought of Justice League. 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable, ideology of madness surprise. Have a good one, guys. Out. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.